Today on the LA Food Podcast, I'm your host, Lucas Servodio, and I hope you've got your tote bag, dear listener, because you and I are headed to the farmer's market. Not just any farmer's market, mind you. We're joined by Carmen Diane and Kara Still, co-founders of Prosperity Market, a farmer's market on wheels whose mission is to support local black farmers and food businesses throughout L.A. and create food access in communities where it's currently lacking. Carmen and Kara joined the pod today for a fascinating conversation on how Prosperity Market was born, the systemic challenges facing black farmers and business owners in today's society, and what we can do as consumers and concerned citizens to create an ecosystem where everybody can thrive. Personally, I found this conversation enlightening and inspiring, and it's really cool to see how two young people stepped up as leaders to help solve a crucial problem facing way too many communities in Los Angeles and around the nation. But first, Father Saw joins us to discuss a week of escape rooms and good eating in our City of Angels. We break down the tasting menu at Holbosch, debate the criteria for what makes a good taco crawl, and reminisce on a pretty epic night out at the old airliner in Lincoln Heights on the heels of the news that it's now being reopened as a fancy Pan-Asian restaurant. Let's just say the story involves beer, mariachi music, and lots of crying. Without further ado, let's chow down. Welcoming back to the LA Food Podcast, a man who spent more than $1,000 in escape rooms last week, it's Father Saul. How you doing today, Father Saul? Doing great, man. Who needs a retirement fund? Fun. <laughs> that was a blast. That was a blast. I, so, listener, <laughs> Father Saul finally made it back to LA last week, and every time I texted him asking what he was up to, he was like, oh, me and my sister and my girlfriend were going to an escape room. How many escape rooms did you do? Oof, that's a great question. At least five, I think maybe six. Because it was all we had a couple. We had three sketched out. No, not even three. We had two sketched out that we had planned. But then we got there. And we it was like a drug, dude. It was like, what do we have your free hour? Let's do an escape room. Isaac, your flight leaves in an hour. Escape room, baby. Let's go. We really got our. We really got it all in. It's a. It's a whole ass hobby, man. We're doing it, and it's not cheap. <laughs> Let me ask you a philosophical question. What are you escaping? Uh, you know, just, just all the things, just, this constant, it's not even that I'm escaping It's that I'm training for the true escape. Who knows wow. when it'll be, who knows when it'll happen, but I'll be ready. I'll so be this ready. This is more like a doomsday pre- scenario preparation exercise. Yeah. 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 Any, any lock that I need to unlock in life, any four digit code key lock, I'm just going to find the clues and figure it out, bro. No matter what the context, that's what I'm ready for now. This reminds me of when I was a kid watching cartoon shows and thinking that quicksand was going to be a huge problem in life. It's like, <laughs> you know, just one of those things that like you come across in life and, and you figure out how to handle it by watching cartoons. I feel like you're preparing for a very unlikely scenario here, but hey, more props to you. You'll be the one with the last laugh, I guess. Better be better be overprepared than underprepared, man. That's all I can say. No, it was a great week in Los Angeles. A lot of good food, a lot of fun escape rooms, a lot of sightseeing, your classic Abbott Kinney walks and Lachma visits. But no, a great, a great little week and good to be back in the city where I purport to be a, a food expert on this podcast. Well, speaking of food, we did do some eating. Let's talk about the eating we did together first, because you did a fair share of eating without me too. But one thing I did is I uh, took you, your sister, and your girlfriend on a taco crawl uh, yeah. on Boyle Heights' Taco Row, which is that stretch of Olympic Boulevard and Boyle Heights around where Marisco Salisco is, where there are just 
a bunch of different taco stops uh, within walking distance. And we started our, our taco crawl off at Los Cochinitos for some carnitas. We then went over to Marisco Salisco, got some shrimp tacos, headed over to Tacos y Biria La Unica for some birria, and finished off with a quick drive at Sonora Town and downtown. What did you think of the taco crawl? What grade do you give me for planning it? This was a very solid taco crawl. I, I'm gonna give you a, you know, I'm gonna give you a B plus for this one because it was a stand. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna. There's room to to dream bigger, but for the day and for the occasion, it's exactly what we needed, right? A perfect four stop lunch down the Boyle Heights strips. I'd been to Mariscos before, but it was nice to go back. I remember the first time I went to Mariscos Salisco with you before I left LA. Right before I left LA. The shrimp taco was like almost too hot in my mouth. I didn't know. I was like more like burned mouth. And this time I saw it coming and knew to like slow it down a little bit. Delicious. Delicious. It was, it was, it was a better second experience. No, just, just solid spots. The full, like the seafood, carnitas, birria, and at Sonora Town. What did I have, I have at Sonora Town? Oh, I had, I had a cabeza. I had beef cheek. Delicious. And I was really, I mean, the flour tortillas at Sonora Town did not disappoint. That was the one new spot that's been on my list for a long time and was excited to finally make it. Yeah, I feel like that's a place, if you call yourself any sort of LA food connoisseur, you absolutely have to go to. So I'm glad we finally took your Sonora Town virginity. Why would you give me a B plus? I, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. I just, I just want to know where the points are being deducted. Well, for me, for me personally, for me personally, it's because it was it was familiar ground, right? I think I think for you to get into a territory, you got to blow my mind. Take me to the valley. Take me somewhere I wouldn't even heard. I, I've never even heard of. A few, a few was it years ago now? Uh, you took me and my my friend Jace Mendoza, who I don't know if I should say his name or not, but I'm saying his name here. <laughs> you want to give out his full address too, just in case. <laughs> Right, longtime LA resident Jace Mendoza and new father, shout out Jace. You took us on a taco crawl with Jace's uh Jace also influenced, I think, a few of the spots. And that was that was an AA plus because we were going to areas and neighborhoods and taco trucks I'd never even heard of or seen before, and that that blew me away. So this was a solid, it was like right in this right in the sweet spot, right in the zone, but you know, didn't have the bells and whistles of an AA plus. Feedback yeah, for you. One- that one, if I'm not mistaken, we started off at Asadero Chicali in East LA. Then we headed over to Teddy's Red Tacos, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And yep. then we finished things off at Burritos La Palma, where was it you or Jace hilariously downed the jalapeno they give us in one bite? Was that you? That that was me. That was really spicy. Yes. <laughs> Although we didn't, I don't think we, we, well, I don't know if we, we, we also stopped by, didn't we, uh, uh, a spot that Jace knew of, I think maybe even Lincoln Heights. Do you remember that? It was a little food court he knew of. And that, that was like a, yo, really, really cool neighborhood spot. A couple like different food pop-ups in the area that Jace brought us to. And that I think was the cherry on top that brought that one to the next yeah. level. Los Taqueros Mucho, which I'm not sure if it's still open, but it's at this awesome food court in El Monte, which I cannot remember mm. the name of, but um, I will I will post it in the show notes. I, I remember the guy's name who owns it, but I can't remember the uh, name of the actual food court. That just mean, must mean I'm getting older, but that was a cool spot. We had, we <laughs> yeah. had pork belly al pastor taco. Pork belly, yes. Yep, that's right. That's right. So that good. That place was good. Yeah, that place was really good. Okay, look. The, the reason I planned the taco crawl the way I did is because, A, I knew I had some folks on the taco crawl who, who were L.A. taco New. You know, newbies. Yep. So I wanted to give yep. them the Marisco, Jalisco, and Sonora Town experiences. 
And B, I also believe that the ideal crawl does not require a lot of driving. And so yeah. I, I, I felt like making 75% of the places on this crawl walking distance would be a notch in my favor, but apparently nothing's good enough for Father Saul. <laughs> I think it was the right crawl for the day. Now, the one thing I will say, hot as motherfucking LA that week, right? We had, we had some hot days and actually some driving might not have been missed, in fact, although the planning and the intent, I think, was correct. Um, yeah, no, th- three great spots. I'm glad we got to take Isa and Emily to those places. And, and but there was there was a, a point I realized at the end of the Boyle Heights walk when I think we were at uh, Tacos La Birria Unica that I was like, I actually feel almost too hot to eat more right now. It's like o- overwhelming. So we got in the car, a few minutes to Sonora Town, and that was the perfect period on the end of the sentence. All right, look, I'm going to plan a valley taco crawl for you next time you're in town. We're going to get really weird with it. Oh, yeah. And yeah. uh, it'll be driving. The weather will most likely be perfect because I don't think you're back in town until like, well, back in town properly until like October. So yeah, uh, then it will be able to really get our rocks off with some tacos. Um, but let's move on to another awesome dining experience we had while you were in town. And that's the tasting menu at Holbosch at Mercado La Paloma. Now, do you want to remind the listeners why we went to Holbosch? So for the listeners who don't remember, we had a Top Chef fantasy competition here on this podcast in which Luca was absolutely destroyed, taken apart piece by piece by Saul's brilliant team and draft. Uh, And as a result of that, he owed me dinner at the best restaurant in L.A., the L.A. Times restaurant of the year, as it were. And this year's was whole Bosch. And so we we roll up to the counter and spend a, a, a nice pretty penny on one of probably the, the best meal I've had. I'll say the best meal I've had in the United States this year. Wow. Okay. Well, that's that's quite a statement. I think I feel almost the same way. Definitely top three. Um, strong case for number one. But uh, let's go through it real quick. So if, I, if I'm not mistaken, we started off with like five or so raw dishes. There was an oyster yep. course, which was anchored by gooey duck. There was an uni over halibut ceviche. There was a wonderful tostada raspada, which is this very unique type of tostada that they make there, which crackles in the mouth like a chicharron. And I think there was some yellowtail on top of that. Uh, what raw dishes am I missing? Uh, there was an aguachile as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was like a diver clam and a green aguachile that had just the right amount of heat. And then we moved on to the hot dishes, which were an incredible soft shell crab quesadilla with some crab butter salsa matcha, which was, fuck me, one of the best things I've had ever, maybe. Uh, And then there was this, like, I thought this dish tasted Asian, but you guys looked at me like I was crazy. It was um, abalone over some masa polenta with like a liver sauce. And it was it was a yeah. really good bite, and to me, it was giving ja- Japanese food. But you looked at me like I was crazy. It did, yeah. It was it was basically like a like a deconstructed tamal almost. That was like the the inspiration. So the masa, the raw masa from the resposada tostada, they take and they use as basically the they cook it, boil it as a tamal style into an abalone, which is really cool and a really interesting way to eat it. It was that was probably I will I will admit my least favorite dish of the night. I don't like tamal, and I don't like the masa. Uh, the way masa is cooked for tamal, just me. But uh, abalone, I know, is a uh, uh, a delicacy, and many divers get killed by great white sharks to bring us the abalone we consume across the world. So shout out to them. 
Yeah, this is your shark fact of the day on the LA Food Podcast. Um, and then we also had a. I think I think the two dishes though, the crab quesadilla and the scallop over that you described almost like a jalapeno popper over this poblano chili sauce with a with a little like a like almost chicharron of the scallop. Is it scallop um, frill? Right, that was yeah. fried the calamari along with it. Love those two dishes back to back. We're like the, the perfect crescendo and nailed it following the raw dishes. Love that. The abalone like was interesting and had never had anything, anything like it. And that was a nice little touch. But again, not my favorite, followed by a lobster, a beautiful lobster um, uh, uh, finale. That was great. In the middle, though, we also got to try some barnacle for the first time in our lives. Delicious. It was kind of like the little little intermission between the, the raw and the hot, I believe. And these little... Um, gooseneck barnacles that looked like little fish sticks honestly and tasted but really they, they really they had they, they more they more events like escargot right and like delicious listener he did not say fish stick he, he did say fish stick <laughs> and like you know genitalia of a fish so i i don't just want to be sure okay uh, We've yeah. already described how we had a uh, fish fish sperm sacks in the past for one, one New Year's Eve, and we're working our way up the male the male genital chain apparently in, <laughs> in our seafood consumption. <laughs> working our way up, I love how you have a hierarchy for male fish genitalia. I mean, sperm sack is just a sperm sack. Come on, let's go. Yeah, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Look, one of the greatest things about this meal, not to abruptly change the subject, is that you really get interaction with the chef. Um, chef yeah. Roberto is really in terms of interacting with the guests and explaining every single course, answered questions. That's how the whole barnacle thing came to be. He literally was like, he looked at, uh, saw me and the two diners next to us, and he, he pulled up these barnacles and was like, do you know what these are? And we all, you know, threw out a guess. We were all wrong. Actually, I think one of the other diners was correct. They, they guessed barnacles. And mm. uh, Jeff was like, yep. And before we knew it, 10 minutes later, he had made us this like, beautiful like escargot-esque like preparation of barnacles with the garlic and some what tasted like butter i love barnacles i was like why doesn't everybody serve barnacles this is incredible they should be bar snacks and he he looked at me and was like well they're really expensive that's why that's what i was trying to figure out i I figured it must have been cost right but you're exactly right they had a total vibe of like if you had like a seafood based bar there's like a there's literally i think there used to be i don't know if it's still open a bar called barnacle in seattle barnacle bar that was right behind like an oyster restaurant they had they they definitely should have served barnacles there it was great a cold preparation but and you're exactly right uh, the chef did an incredible job of bringing like really professor vibes so knowledgeable about the meal he's serving so creative and also like so you're like eating learning and kind of like uh uh being guided through this meal in a way that's just like kind of kind of delightful, but not too pressury and not too over, you know, over interactingly. Um, a total blast. The only time I felt guilty interacting with Chef is when you turned you you said one of the best meals I've had this year. And you turned to me and go, right? And me being a man of honesty and truth paused because I wanted to think I was like thinking about it. And I was like, what is it the best meal I've had this year? Probably could be. And then I realized I'm like pausing at a moment where I should just be like, totally yes. And I, in my head, I'm like, Cartagena ate a lot of good food there. Been in Seattle, had some good good dinners here. And I felt like I didn't really jump on it fast enough. And Chef kind of felt it. 
Yeah. I mean, look, I, I will say about you, you're honest to a fault. And that's what makes you both a fantastic friend and a horrific friend. So uh, uh, th- this was very much on display. Look, let's talk about another one of the best meals we've had this year because you went back to this restaurant and that's Poltergeist. You went back Poltergeist. to Diego Argotti's Poltergeist in Echo Park. How was your second visit? It was awesome. Updated menu, which is really cool. Uh, you can tell that him, uh, uh, Diego and his team have like experimented with different styles of service. We had a green curry bucatino while we were there. This time there was a yellow curry. The whole meal was great. We had this awesome green goddess salad, the dressing I could buy by the bottle. Oh, my God. It was great. Um, and then the lamb neck we had again, which we had our first time, Penang lamb neck over the over the like, kind of uh, tacos and the, with the meat falling off the bone. So tender. But the star for me was this fried Dorado that was filleted open, fried whole, and served at the table with this really delicious sauce. And so you have this fried fish that you're just cutting up, steboned perfectly. You dip it in the sauce. It's like the most elevated fish sticks. Speaking of fish sticks, that you could ever have in your life, but just the best. It was it was a great meal. It was a great time again at Button Mash. Um, always happy to go back to Poltergeist. Did it hit as hard as it did the first time? I, I think it. I think it did. I think it was close. The first time was special because one, it was a revelation, and two, we'd been bar crawling for a couple hours at that point. And I think that elevated, but it, it didn't. Like it was, it was right up there again, and it was really fun to bring my sister, who's who's uh, gets really excited about food. In fact, my girlfriend Emily, who's has a high bar for restaurants and is not always enthusiastic to go, said it was quote the closest we've had to top chef level food, which in the Emily dictionary is like the highest food compliment that you could possibly get. So yeah, it fucking hit. How do you think Diego would do on Top Chef? <laughs> I could so it would be it would be probably as with all things Diego, like the wildest possible experience. I feel like where his where he would where he would fall because he, he could do great in any of the challenges. Where he would falter, I think, is maybe sticking to the brief or being like too high concept for like a particular thing. Right? He'd be like that chick on a uh, Five Star Chef bringing like the fire dancers out and you're like, whoa, okay, this is happening now. No, nah, yeah. I'm just kidding. I mean, I, I, w- I would love to see it is all I would say. I'd love to I see would, it. I would pay good money to see that. If anybody from Magical Elves is listening, Diego Argotti, he's your guy. Uh, bring him in for Top Chef season 20. He actually like legitimately would be an amazing contestant. That'd be, yeah. and, he, and I think he's like, he'd be a perfect fit. I wonder if he'd do it. It just seems like he, like... I don't know. I feel like there's a certain. I type feel like he's above it. He's too much of an artist, man. He's above. He's above like a reality TV thing. I think. I mean, look, not trying to speak for Diego, but I, I see it. I see him having a, a different kind of, a different kind of mission with his food than Top well, speaking Chef. Speaking of, did you see the uh, Eater article about Diego that came out? I did. That was awesome. Yeah, Farley Elliott wrote a piece, like a pretty long piece, interviewing Diego, and I thought it was a really good piece. That the uh, headline was "The Real LA Hurricane Is Happening Nightly at Poltergeist." Kind of funny to think that uh, that's a headline that only exists thanks to uh, the the, hur- the recent quote unquote hurricane we experienced here in Los Angeles. <laughs> oh, uh, I didn't even catch but, that because I missed that. <laughs> yeah, they, they were very much like trying to get the clicks by including hurricane in the headline here. Um, but I, I love the article, you know, I mean, I think Diego is a great interview. He just has great, like, he knows what a soundbite is. I don't even think he knows. I don't think he even knows he's doing it, but he just gives like the best one liners. Like in the article, he goes, uh, he's talking about sort of the wild experience that it is to 
run Poltergeist every night, and he goes, we had Seth Rogen and a porn star come in on the same day. Two people <laughs> I'm a very big fan of. <laughs> That's right. I wonder if they came together. Actually, re- hearing your co- your quote say that out loud, but I, I, which I kind of doubt. But yeah, no, a great a great interview again. Of course, if you want to hear the preeminent Diego Argotti interview. Just look down your uh, LA Food Countdown feed for like a truly awesome like storytelling experience from him. But yeah, no, it was. And so this was what this really was to me was like a little like taste test of the episode you had with him, where Diego like really dove into like his background in life, which was super dope. But yeah, always happy to, always happy to get some Diego, man. Always happy to see it. And also, I mean, the cool one of this was like him reflecting on Poltergeist itself, right? Like what they've done there, how it feels, the adjustment between like, it's always busy at Bestia and it's just not the case at most restaurants, right? That you're busy every single night. What that's like, um, his fears of, of, of potential failure or how the how Poltergeist will potentially evolve over time. The BLT from Spanglish, which I don't even know the reference, but sounds fucking good. Um, always good to hear from Diego. Yeah, the BLT from Spanglish was an interesting reference. He was just like, it was basically just him saying like, our Hail Mary, if we ever get there, is we're going to make the BLT from Spanglish and just sell that as if it's just like a sure shot. And, and you know what? I'm sure if Diego's doing, it would be a sure shot. Now, look, let's move from Echo Park to the west side because you spent a lot of your trip on the west side and you went to mm. some pretty interesting restaurants, some old, some new. You went to one that is kind of an L.A. mainstay but that you've never been to, Jelena. I want to hear about your experience at Jelena and, you know, do you think that the the hype that it's had for years is deserved? Jelena was a quintessential west side experience for us. So – Awesome menu. I wish so. The thing, the thing that stood out to me one is, Jelena was the classic. There was a moment in LA, the LA food scene, where restaurants were doing a lot. And this, there's a joke on my favorite show and the best show of all time, New Girl, where they go to a restaurant and they're looking at the menu. And one of the characters says, "Look at this place. This place has oysters, uh, butter chicken, pizza. This place is doing too much. They can't be doing all this right." And the Jelena menu very, very much, very much reminded me. That's Schmidt. Yeah, they go to, they go to, he takes, he takes the main character Jess out for a celebratory dinner and is reading the menu. He's like, yo, this place is doing way too much. They can't be doing it right. However, of course, a place like Jelena, they have oysters, they got pizza, they got pastas, they got different stuff. Like, it wasn't like so wild. It's like, it, but it was a thing where I want to kind of go back through and eat. You could have like three different, entirely different dinner, dining experiences at Jelena just off the of lunch menu, right? based on how you're feeling that day, which is super dope, right? Uh, we had we had a great meal there, a pretty basic uh, uh, tartare, salad, shrimp, solid meal. Um, everything was great. Um, I, would, I would go back. But it also did have a little bit of like, this isn't like pushing, this is not pushing the envelope anymore, right? This is like now, like they're in their institution phase and it's felt. We also had a couple next to us that was the most high maintenance, like, super like like luxury west side old white people couple that just like wouldn't stop complaining about shit so it really was a full venice la west side experience which was nice well that's what i was going to ask you actually about because i remembered this anecdote you told us about these high maintenance diners and it struck me that jelena is how old now it's probably like more than 10 years old and i i wonder if as Jelena has aged, so has its customer base. Meaning like when it first opened, 
it was like the hottest new thing for like, you know, 20, 25 year olds to 30 year olds with some money who are trying to like flex on the West side. And now those people are older. They're on, they're on the, you know, they probably have kids. They probably are like a little bit more settled down. They want a different type of dining experience. And I just wonder if like the whole vibe has sort of like aged at Jelena to match its aging customer base. It was, well, it was lunch on a Friday. You might not be wrong. It was definitely, a, it seemed a little bit of a, a slightly older middle-aged crowd and seamy, right? But I think part of the way, part of the reason was that there were like business lunches happening. Except for this couple next to us who like, I don't even know what to do with their lives because they're not working on a Friday. Uh, but most of it seemed like people meeting to discuss like work. And that was like, and, like, and dress professionally. So that and that I think is where Jelena settled in, right? Like that it's like kind of that zone of like, okay, power lunch west side, go to Jelena. Before we move on from this, do you want to take any more gratuitous shots at that couple? Because we love to just take gratuitous shots at people we don't know here, apparently. Their kids probably hate them. They probably wrote us they probably are the ones that wrote that spreadsheet, bro. That's probably the guy. <laughs> probably the guy who wrote the spreadsheet. <laughs> Got nothing else going on. He's wor- He's in the shade. He's he's covered by multiple layers of shade. Com- complaining about UV ray exposure. Come on, my guy, relax. It's fine. Yeah. Hey, hey, look. You don't know what anybody's been through, so you know. Net- before you criticize, you know, put your oyster down <laughs> and, uh, and and put your feet in their shoes. Okay. Uh, look, we're gonna move on abruptly from from this to the final meal you had because I gotta say I'm really proud of you because typically when I give you a recommendation or, you know, a request or, you know, any sort of direction, you do the exact opposite. And this time you actually listen. I told you to go to Sichuan Impression and you went. How was it? I uh, really liked it. Now, to be clear, the only reason I went is because my sister Isa really wanted to go and I was trying to find any way out of the situation. I thought I'd found that way out by suggesting bang, bang noodles instead, which we had tried and I knew I would enjoy from our time at EatsCon. And instead you say, Oh no, Sichuan impression is actually great. And I was like, motherfucker. Now I have to go eat Sichuan food, which I don't know. I don't know how I feel about was fucking delicious. Isa led the way on ordering. We had dumplings. We had a pot. Like we had a, a pot of like a uh, beef noodle soup delicious and uh oh my gosh what else it was like it, it was like i let isa lead the way and it was a plate of just like deliciousness and spiciness in front of us enjoyed all of it to the extent that i've literally ordered szechuan food for dinner for myself tonight on my own accord <laughs> yeah man i'm all the way in i'm all the way in okay there's a restaurant called the uh, lion head szechuan restaurant called lion head here in seattle that's providing dinner tonight shout out all right well next time you're in town then we should figure out a san gabriel valley uh yeah call. Because there are some spots, dude. If, if you like that – well, let me ask you. Do you like the feeling of Sichuan peppercorns? Yes, I do. I do. I, 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 that I already knew because I like Dan Dan Noodle, which is a, a, a – like a, I think it's a Sichuan or whatever from that region dish. Get the little tangle. Get the numbness. I really enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Look, next time you come, we'll make that our crawl. We'll do San Gabriel Valley for – Chinese Sichuan food, and then we'll also head to the valley for a taco crawl there. I do want to touch on a place that we've been to together in the past, which is the airliner in Lincoln Heights. Do you remember yeah. the airliner? Is that where we watched my Sixers get absolutely hammered by the Brooklyn Nets after having Blue's Craft Barbecue with our friend Jace? 
Or is that a different time? That is a different time, and it's a much more <laughs> hilarious time, frankly. That's the one that I'm gonna. That's the, that's only gonna stick in my mind, anyway. So the airliner <laughs> is has just reopened. The airliner was a long time sort of like bar and club that was famous on I want to say Monday or Tuesday nights for hosting an event called Low End Theory, where oh, gotcha. Up, where underground, sort of underground initially underground then they became popular djs would go and spin and it was sort of like this very like cool east side event that would happen once a week and uh one time i took saw there and uh the 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 night was fine at 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 the actual airliner but leading up there we had quite a time do you remember what we did uh can we talk about it on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) i think we have to now yeah, yeah. This was the night we went to HMS Bounty. By the way, we went to Low End Theory a couple of times, but I know the very first time we went to HMS Bounty and we met our friend Cesar. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, we pre-gamed the airliner at HMS Bounty in Koreatown. And Saul, Saul came over. I lived in Koreatown at the time. And we headed down to HMS Bounty, had a couple of you know beers. And we're sitting at the bar and we, we make this friend who doesn't speak a lick of English and he's extremely friendly and extremely drunk. Um, extremely, he felt, extremely drunk. <laughs> he, he, he's very happy when we get there. Extremely happy. He keeps telling oh, yeah. us, you know, hey, my name is Cesar. And then he would turn around and completely forget all about us. And 10 seconds later, he turns around and says, hey, I'm Cesar. And this happened like all night long pretty much. I think I think a dozen times in a row, the guy turned to us, turned to Luca and be like, Hey, I'm Cesar. What's your name? And they were like, oh, it's Luca. Saul. He's like, cool. He like looks down at his beer for three seconds and like a goldfish looks up and goes, hey, I'm Cesar. What's your name? And we had it, I'm not, no joke, 12 times in a row. And it was, well, by the day, we were, we were doing bits. We were like changing our name and shit. And the guy was just like loving it and just like would forget and immediately turn back. He was not okay. He was he not was, okay. Well, well, we discovered he was not okay because at one point in the night, this man uh, puts in headphones and just breaks down bawling he breaks down bawling crying and we're like what the fuck what is going on is he okay he it turns out that he uh he was in some sort of a relationship with one of the waiters there and uh and it seems like they were maybe having a rough patch and everybody knows that the way to smooth over a rough patch to show at show up at your significant other's place of work and get Get hammered and and cry um so (laughs) Us being nice, good people, we we want to we want to give Cesar some solace. So you know, we, we put our hand on his back and we're like, "Hey, Bunny, are you okay?" And he's like, he he doesn't say anything. He just gives Saul the headphones and is like, "I want you to feel what I'm feeling." And what was playing? The happiest mariachi mu- music I've ever heard. Literally, La Cucaracha. Maybe it was. Look, <laughs> mariachi music can be beautiful and heartbreaking and sad. This was not that. <laughs> this was this was like pitbull level like let's party music and i was like the vibe clash was so intense that i started breaking out laughing it just didn't make sense to me <laughs> well that uh that story has stuck with us and that's what i think of every time i think of the airliner so uh news broke this week that the airliner is reopening as a as a fancier pan-asian concept how do you feel about that hmm. yeah, good for them sounds fun not mad i'm not mad at that at all not mad yeah we'll have to go check it out i i you know i i don't know i'm not like 
I, I like a lot of these things that are happening where old school spots will reopen with new concepts. Like it happened in Eagle Rock with uh, the Capri, which was an old school Italian restaurant that reopened this Capri club, this like really cool hip aperitivo bar. Um, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. What's that bar in Echo Park? Gold Room? Is that the place? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's Lowen. Uh, wait, uh Wait, what's it called? Not Low in Theory, but it's Lowboy, Low Boy, Low Boy, right? That's oh, what that yes. was. Yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, Gold yeah. Room. Hold on, Gold Room is still open. The Knight's Tale or whatever that one became Low Boy. That's right. But Gold Room, it it like it, it it basically kept the name and everything, but they just revamped it inside, and it feels like a hotel lobby bar. So I'm not super down with that. Are you I saying? Mean, you're our down. neighborhood bar, our our favorite, our favorite, our favorite neighborhood bar, Little Joy, completely transformed. I haven't been back inside, but I've walked by and it went from a dark, like vibey, like dive bar with a really specific energy to a bright, open, airy, like cocktail bar. It looks like I I don't know. It's a look. The times change, man. You have to adapt. Um, and and certainly me coming back to LA each time I see something new, it's like look. This is not my LA anymore. Not entirely. Not until I move back, that is. And uh, you got to roll with it. Some things will change for the better. Some things maybe for the worse. We'll see what the deal is with the airliner. Yeah, we'll have to check it. I will say, uh, I believe that the chef from pop- Filipino pop-up Little Imposter is one of the chefs there. And Little Imposter was legit. Like, I had their food for my birthday this year. Um, they were serving food over at Melody Wine Bar. And um, I really dug it. So in terms of like, you know, the caliber in the kitchen, I'm, I know that they have the capability. So from that perspective, I am excited to see what they do. Look, the final thing I wanted to touch on is John Tizar. We talked about this. Uh, uh, t- John Tizar of Top Chef fame has been fired from the restaurant where he was seen saying expletives and giving the finger to uh, striking workers. What strikes me about this is that they said they forgave him. It's a power move, bro. It's a power move. The union forgives yeah. him, and they, the, the, the restaurant still fires him. I thought that was kind of the funniest way things could end for this particular story. Yeah, it's a good lesson for us all to stop yelling at stri- striking workers, everybody. Keep it in. Keep it inside. Let's not be John Teasers about it, that we all know we'd love to be. JK, we support striking workers. But, yeah, no, I don't know. This is like how it was going to end baller for the union for uh to, to forgive him by the way uh union uh unite here 11 uh for, um i think used to, we, we group i group I, the firm i worked with used to work with back in the day shout out to them good folks john Tzar, bad folks yeah good that's riddance. a moral story union's good john Tzar, bad and uh honestly props to the uh hotel and the restaurant for taking the difficult decision to let John Tizar go. We believe that everybody (laughs) deserves redemption on this pod. I mean, certainly Father Saul has built his career off of redemption. So um, we wish John John Tizar. Yeah. All all the best and come on the podcast. Tell us your side of the story. (laughs) Yeah. This is, this is where you remake your image. Okay. Um, Final question for you, Father Saul. How do you feel about farmer's markets? I fucking hate farmer's markets. Total bullshit. Like, come on, just go to a grocery store. We know it's. And I'm joking. I love farmers markets. <laughs> we have great. We have great ones up here. We have great ones up here in Seattle. Yeah, I love a good farmers market. Why you ask? I ask because uh, today on the pod, our guests uh, are the owners of and the founders of a pretty impressive farmers market, uh, which was uh, actually founded to 
uh, help bring uh, uh, farmers markets to neighborhoods that didn't have them and to give opportunities to black farmers and black business owners and things like that. So I'm glad you turned around there because for a moment I was. No, I, <laughs> I, I saw it coming. I saw it. So this one, when you ask me a question like that, now I know it's about a guest and I know. I know what's coming. So that was a bit, I actually do legitimately enjoy it. Enjoy a good farmer's market. I'm actually going to try and start making my grocery shopping almost exclusively to farmer's markets, but it's going to be hard, particularly with the frozen beef. Ask them about that. Ask them how hard it is to get fresh beef to a farmer's, fresh meat and fish to a farmer's market. Cause that's what's missing for me. Yeah. Well, considering that uh, I recorded the interview yesterday, that's going to be a little difficult to ask. <laughs> But uh, I think I think your solution may just be like get your get your vegetables at the farmers market and get your meat at like a butcher if you want to do the whole like you know local. My bro- my my solution my solution is live slaughters at the f- farmers market. Let's <laughs> stop being pussies about this. I want meat. Let's get the meat. Stop being around. We know where it's coming from. Let's not pretend, guys. Let's face what we're doing. Even better, even better. We make people kill their own so they know. Yeah, they know yeah, yeah, yeah. What it took exactly what it took. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You need to be connected to your food is what I think. Yeah. Well, I believe one of the owners uh, and founders of the farmer's market that we're about to speak to is vegan. So um, I think that this this particular (laughs) conversation will only reinforce that desire to only eat plants. Uh, But Father Saul, thank you for joining us today. Um, I I can only imagine that uh, you've got a a lot of other stuff going on. So we always appreciate you making the time. (laughs) I don't appreciate the the condescending tone, but... uh... Always happy to be here regardless. Joining us today on the LA Food Podcast are Carmen Diane and Kara Still, the co-founders of Prosperity Market. Carmen and Kara, how are you doing today? Great. Thank you. Good to hear. What are your respective LA stomping grounds? Where are you calling us from? I'm calling from uh, Larchmont, which many people may not know what that is, but it's this little block <laughs> in between Koreatown, Hollywood, mid-city-ish area. The Valley. I'm in North Hollywood right now. Nice. North Hollywood also has a a very good culinary scene. I've spent a lot of time there recently. I'm always very pleasantly surprised with the amount of food that there is on offer in North Hollywood. It does now. North Hollywood is kind of a mixed bag. Like You can tell over the last 10 to 15 years how it's kind of been built up in some areas. Some areas still look kind of like industrial and kind of family and mixed. North Hollywood's a little bit of an interesting area depending on the direction you go in yeah i I guess i've been only been going to the to the direction where uh el tejano is is that is that technically north hollywood yes that's funny (laughs) i lived i used to live in north hollywood for the first like six years of my la journey um and we saw a lot of restaurants come and go not much has stayed but el tejano they (laughs) they've been there a while i feel like yeah, I mean, when you've got queso, you're not going to close anytime soon, I think. That's the issue. Probably not. Is that the place with the games out front? Yeah, that's the place with the games out front. They've got uh, they've got the sports games on TV. They've got nachos, you know, like what's not to love? Carmen, Carol, are, let's start with you, Carmen. Are you, did you grow up in LA? I did not. I'm from Maryland, um, but I've been here about 10 years now. Wow. Okay. So you're a bonafide Angelino. And Kara, how about you? Are you from LA? No, I'm originally <laughs> from Maryland as well, from Baltimore. Um, and I've been here about about nine years now. No way. Did you guys know each other in Maryland? We did. We ended up here separately. So we, we kind of reconnected once we had both separately moved to LA. Got it. Got it. And what were you both brought to LA by the industry, the entertainment industry? 
So I came out to LA for Hollywood. You know, I um, I'm a ma- I was a makeup artist before Prosperity Market. Um, so I came out here. I actually came out here to go to school for special effects and prosthetics makeup, which I did, and uh, and I stuck around TV, film, and and the likes. Wow. And how about you, Kara? What brought you out here? Uh, I mean, I actually came because I just really wanted to try something new, like just a change. Um, but when I came out here, I did go back to school to get a degree in fashion design. Uh, of something I was like already interested in and had like my own background. But yeah, I've got a degree in fashion design, have been working in, you know, for women's fashion design companies and doing like my own things on the side before Prosperity Market. So do you guys consider yourself foodies? Like, like, like food obsessed people, like most of the people who listen to this (laughs) podcast? I don't actually, or at least I did not. <laughs> now I guess I could reconsider, but 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 no, not necessarily. No, how about you, Kara? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider myself a foodie. I mean, I I, I do enjoy good food for sure. But before um, Prosperity Market, I would probably say before Prosperity Market, I thought about food more than I wanted to, and now food is the thing that I think about every day in some capacity or another. Totally. I, I think I, I ended up in the same, in the same, uh, with the same predicament. Uh, okay. Well, that makes it even more interesting how you guys ended up doing what you do today. So I want to hear how you went from your respective careers to starting Prosperity Market. Now for the listeners at home who aren't familiar with Prosperity Market, what are we talking about when we talk about Prosperity Market? That's a good place to start. <laughs> what is Prosperity Market? Um, so we're a mobile farmer's market. We feature Black farmers, food producers, and chefs. And um, we are building a literal farmer's market on wheels. And in the meantime, we host pop-up markets all over LA. So for the last almost three years, we've been doing pop-ups all over LA. And we also do a monthly online market so that if you can't meet us in person, you can shop online and get delivery or pick up or shipping. LA is kind of known around the world, uh, definitely around the nation, as one of sort of the capitals of farmers markets. It's almost like, you know, uh, it's almost a meme, right? It's like Los Angeles. Oh, you're going to go to the farmers market with your tote bag. And that's what we do here to buy our fresh carrots and everything. How is prosperity market different? I think that, I think we're different because it's, it's the experience when you come, it just feels like, I don't want to say family, but it feels like family, you know, it's just, it's like you, all of the vendors are your friends. They're so knowledgeable. Um, we have an amazing DJ. The music is always great. And it's always just a, a good vibe. The other way that I would say that we're different is that, um, you know, like Carmen mentioned, we're building a, a literal farmer's market on wheels so that we can roll into different areas and neighborhoods. Um, and while we're doing that, we've been doing pop-ups all over LA. So I think that that inherently makes us different because we're not in the same location every time we pop up because we really want to be able to give a really broad array of people the opportunity to experience Prosperity Market, the vendors, the things we bring, the energy, and also go into communities that are not necessarily near or close to or have that farmer's market experience and be able to bring those things to them as well. What sparked the idea for Prosperity Market? Well, because obviously you've told us neither of you were working in this field, so to speak. 
you know, what what sparked the 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 sort of desire in both of you to get this off the ground? Uh, this is what you would call a good old pandemic pivot. <laughs> it was, um, you know, 2020 was a year for everyone. And we weren't working in our fields. We weren't doing much of anything. And, but we were watching, you know, everything that was happening. We were experiencing everything that was happening with Black-owned businesses closing. Um, we, we saw 41% of Black-owned businesses close across the nation. And um, no, witnessing that, but also knowing that pre-pandemic, a dollar, there's a, st- a stat that says a dollar stays in our community for just six hours. Mm-hmm. And that's a wild statistic to think that a dollar only stays in your community for six hours, less than six hours. So knowing that and then knowing that all of these businesses are now closed, we really wanted to figure out how we could um, how we could make an impact, how we could really create, how we could change those stats. Um, and for and it led us to food because during the pandemic, the only thing open was the grocery store. Like that was the only thing open. And we don't have any national or regional black owned grocery chains. Um, so that was our thought process. And that's kind of what got us started. So let me back up there for a moment. You said that during the pandemic was the statistic that 41% of the businesses that closed were, were black owned. Is that, did I get that right? of Black-owned businesses closed. So out of each group that had their respective number of businesses, 41% was the highest in that, in, out of those, out of that spread. I wish I could actually tell you the the other numbers, but um, it was, it was the highest by at least 10%. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a big uh, disparity. My question may be stupid, but why why do you think that is? Why do you think those numbers were significantly higher for Black-owned businesses? Definitely not a stupid question at all. Um, and that's why we asked ourselves this question, and this is why we started Prosperity Market. Um, there are a lot of systemic barriers to all of this, to the reasons why, in particular, healthy, affordable food isn't easily accessible in certain neighborhoods um, to the reason that there aren't more Black-owned businesses to begin with, to the reason that they closed first. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that it also does have something to do with what Carmen hit on before, which is the essential business piece, right? So, you know, when all you need are the bare essentials, if you're particular group, like a lot of Black-owned businesses aren't necessarily grocery store and emergency item related, then they're not going to be the first to get patronized. And then when you also look at the things that Carmen said, like, you know, the systemic barriers, the um, oftentimes funding issues too. So, you know, like if you are a mom and pop or an entrepreneur and you're building something from the ground up, we all know that that is very tough. And black and brown people, especially uh, black owned businesses, tend to also get the least amount of funding of anyone. So that means you're already operating on like a shoestring budget, really walking that tightrope just to be able to keep your business open. And then um, when things like the pandemic happen, you've already been struggling to stay open because you can't get funding for lots of very, you know, various reasons. And so then those businesses close. I think it also has to do um, with the intentionality with which we all patronize the businesses that we do. 
So there's something to be said with being intentional about where you spend your dollars so that businesses stay open and also so that communities can thrive. And I think that Mm -hmm. when we thought about Prosperity Market, we wanted to pull all of those pieces together such that in areas that don't have the farmer's market experience, we could bring it. And in areas that do love the farmer's market experience, we could actually bring like a diversified group of vendors that they may not necessarily have been exposed to. When you you said that food sort of became the idea that made the most sense when you were looking at how to so, like how to provide some solutions for these issues that you were seeing. Uh, I'm curious, were there any other ideas that you had before you landed on Prosperity Market that you're like, oh, that would be cool to do too? Like, well, what did the drawing Not board look like? <laughs> it was, Iterations it was of farmers' like- markets? <laughs> <laughs> the literal thought the literal thought one day um i mean i won't tell the story because it's a long story but one day it was just literally just hit me like just bam like we need black on grocery stores it was it was it was just that clear we need black on grocery stores and then from there from that thought that was the seed and then we kind of began the research to okay grocery store seems hard. (laughs) Let's do a farmer's market. That seems more simple, right? So let's just find black farmers. And then we realized like, oh, there are not a lot of black farmers around. And that was a lot of learning we had to do too, the history of black farmers and how over the years they were systemically, um, that number was was taken down for reasons like um, land theft, foreclosure. Mm -hmm. They weren't able to get the bank loans that they needed. They were denied bank loans. And all of these are reasons that um, over the years, the numbers of Black farmers dwindled down. So then we had to do the hard work of finding Black farmers. And, um, you know, each step of the way, it was just a new challenge to uh, overcome. And the first six months was totally just research. Like, it was totally just like, we're jumping into this and let's just see what we can learn to figure out how to make this thing work. Yeah. You know, you say it's a long story. Oh, go for it, Carmen. Uh, I was just going to say, I do want to point out the reason that we're mobile and why that's so important to us is so that we can bring all of the, you know, great produce, healthy, affordable produce that we have to all communities. So neighborhoods that don't have grocery stores, that don't have farmer's markets and just don't have access to healthy, affordable foods, we want to provide that access. And then at the same time, we have so many great products that everybody should experience. And, you know, there's a Trader Joe's or a a Ralph's or, you know, insert your grocery store on every corner. And we don't have anything like that. So, so that was, that is why it's important for us to be mobile. So while we may not at this moment have a prosperity market on every corner at the same time, we sure can pull up to every corner. Yeah, for sure. That's really cool. And I mean, you bring up the excellent point that it's like, it's one thing to have to 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 have black farmers and, and and black owned businesses and artisans and whatnot, but if there's nowhere to to sell your goods, then it kind of dis- disincentivizes folks from even going into those professions, right? So it seems really cool to open up this new avenue for folks to actually go and be able to sell their goods. I'm assuming that's that's got to be a part of it too, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, any grower or farmer that has, um, 
been a part of any type of farmer's market can tell you that it's not easy, right? And so the other thing, like you said, it was, that was a great word that you use. It, it like de-incentivizes people to go into that area. Um, if you are a farmer, a producer of any kind, and your area for selling those goods that you grow and create is small, not only will other people not necessarily want to go into that field, but it also keeps you from being able to grow and expand. So we started looking at a lot of um, urban farmers, community gardens, backyard growers who traditionally aren't looked at as farmers, but still have the capacity to grow enough to feed communities and families, but don't necessarily have the acreage and the land and the title of farmer because they don't meet certain federal regulations in terms of like their setup, in terms of the amount of space that they have. And so these people during the pandemic, actually several of the farmers we work with during the pandemic were giving food away to their neighbors. And so if you have the capacity to do that, they want to grow food, right? They want to make food. We want to give you the outlet to be able to do that. And so then our farmers can expand their capacity and they say, okay, I have somewhere to put it. Now I can actually grow it. And so that was a really nice experience too, because it's like not just about the profession being looked at as something that's not lucrative, but also the people that are still doing it, being able to open up their options. So let's talk about the first farmer's market you guys hosted. When, when was the first one? Ah, that was February, 2021 in Inglewood. Okay. So February, 2021. I mean, we were, we were still feeling the effects of the pandemic. We weren't totally back to life yet. People were still wearing masks. Right. And so what was that experience like putting together the first one? How difficult was it to get vendors, get the word out. What was it like? Did you have butterflies that day? I want to hear sort of the date, the, what the whole experience was like to see this come to life. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> A heavy sigh. <laughs> That's what it felt like. Um, because we hadn't done any of this before. We didn't know, like we cold called pretty much everyone, all the farmers and, and people that we're part of the market. We cold called them and we're just like, hey, we're these two girls. No, we're not farmers. No, we're not in the agricultural space. No, actually, you know, I do makeup, but, but no, trust me, we have this really good idea. (laughs) So that's kind of what it felt like. But luckily it was a really good idea and people did trust us. (laughs) I remember um, on that day, uh, I think we had maybe between 15 and 17 total vendors for our first market. Um, now we usually have no less than 30, 35. Um, and that's in the smallest spaces because we, we set up depending on the size of the space and the location we are. Um, and at some point, kind of like towards the middle of the market, Carmen and I were like, we really pulled, like we did this, we really pulled it off. And just kind of like looking around and it was actually really cool because right before the market, we had had an LA Times article come out about us. And so not only was there outreach from just like people that we know spreading the word, but there were people that came and they were like, I read about this in the LA Times. And so we wanted to come and support your market. And that was really cool. Um, it, It felt good to be able to like have taken all of those pieces and put them together. 
And then it was such a, it, it was such a tiring experience. Like I just remember how mentally exhausted we were after that first weekend, but it, it was amazing. I mean, we really took these things that we knew nothing about less than a year ago and pulled it all together. And all of these people believed in us enough to say, I'll be a part of this, or you can use this space, or let me connect you with that person and this person. So it was really cool to see the support that we got virtually kind of coming coming into the space out of nowhere. I will say doing this in the midst of the pandemic, um, we had an eye-opening conversation with somebody. And at the time we were planning this, it was still 20, it was still 2020. And we're talking about, you know, we're gonna have our first market February of 2021. And she was just like, What are you gonna do about COVID? And I'm just like, What do you mean? It's we'll be over it by then. <laughs> COVID will be done. But she that seed she planted, I'm like, it, you know, we're like, what are we gonna do about COVID? And that's actually why we started our virtual market. So we wanted to give people an opportunity to still shop who may not feel comfortable coming in public. So we, it's kind of wild to think that we did this our very first market, but our very amazing web person, Mallory, um, she's amazing. Hey, Mallory, created an online marketplace. <laughs> Within a and couple of weeks, a, literally. Wow. And we had a drive-through pickup. So you order online and then we put your orders together and then you just drive through and pick it up. And it was like contactless. And yeah, we did it. <laughs> that's re- that, that's uh, resourcefulness right there, figuring out how to make the most within the given circumstances. I, I, I have not been to one of these uh, markets yet. I'm dying to come to the next one. What vendors can you expect to find there? Like, who, who are some of your vendors, and what like, like, give us a snapshot of what what you experience as a as a visitor when you're traveling booth to booth at one of the prosperity markets. So I can tell you, um, our farmers, like we we so we we have a lot of vendors and a lot of people that we connect with, but we do have like a core group that are like almost always with us. So I can start with our farmers. Like we have. Um, Farmer Ken, who is amazing, and he actually, maybe about a year ago now, moved to a larger location, so he actually has more growing space. Um, we have Charles, who runs In God's Hands, IGH Garden, and he's he's amazing, and like so many stories, along with some of the best greens you will ever see in your life. Um, we also have stories. so many stories. Oh my gosh, he's lived a life and a half. He like was like a party man and like a master barbecuer and like partied with like Rick James and like Eddie Murphy. Like it's a whole thing. Sounds like we got to get Charles on the podcast. For he sure. was a chef. Like he took artists. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Um, we also have um, my daddy's recipes. She does. She's an all vegan chef and she, her, I mean, she has a really amazing journey too. And every single thing she makes is just delicious Chef Brandy, oh. who has pizzas that are phenomenal. So at the market, Chef Brandy makes, like she has the ovens there and she makes the pizzas right there. And they are amazing. Oh. So I am a pizza fanatic. So uh, now that I hear this, I'm going to become ch- coming to check out Chef Brandy's pies next one, guaranteed. Oh, That's very exciting. They have strawberries on them. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I'm into it. It's, I'll put it's an, amazing, yeah. I'm it's an it. amazing. And then we we do have some amazing um artisan vendors too. Like we have like 
Ace Naturals and Vanity Room and they have like really great things for skincare and like wellness. Um, we always have a juice vendor. So you really can get a little bit of everything. You can get your produce, you can get some like prepared foods, you can get some good things for your for your skin. Um, and we have a lot of really good sauce sauce vendors too, like sauce and seasonings. Yeah. So, so we have um, Gloria Chateau is a um, a chili oil. It's a Ghanaian chili oil. Luca, you um, should really amazing. try this. You should try this for the podcast. I need all it. The people. As a foodie, you must try this. Any hey, foodie. What is- Hey, Gloria Chateau. Is it like any other hot sauce you've ever no, had before? Or no. is it totally unique? It's not like anything I've ever had before. It's the it's it's now it's got some kick to it, but it's a flavorful kick. It's just not it's not spicy for no reason. So got I'm it. not a huge spice person, but I love my Gloria Chateau. And because it's a chili this. oil, can I, can I like it can, yeah, because it it's a chili oil, you can like okay. cook with it and add it to things. Like oh, uh, okay. So Mallory, who Carmen said is our amazing um, web designer, she has a nephew and uh, she had ordered some Chateau for herself and left it by accident. And so he calls her actually like a month or so ago. I was like, Auntie Mal, I need some more of that Chateau. It's the base for my ramen. She's like, what are you? He's like, she's like, what do you mean the base to your ramen? He's like, yeah, I started cooking, but it's not right without the chateau. I need you to order me some more. This is a prodigy right here. Apparently. A, a, a prodigy in the chef world, up and coming, uh, making Ghanaian infused ramen. I've never even heard of that. That's, in, that's incredible. Yeah. So you got to get yeah. some chateau for sure. Wow. Okay. So that's, that's on the top of my to-do list is trying out the chateau couple other vendors because we have an oat milk company called ghost town ghost town oats um we have a protein powder um it's a it could be a meal replacement you it could be like after your workouts but i love it i mean this is my morning right here my protein shake with my oat milk coffee from california coffee company which is one of our vendors um vanilla we have a we have a vendor um sustainable babe is the company and the vanilla is like, you do it justice, Kara. You talk about the vanilla. So it this is so vanilla good. that comes in like four flavors. It's like regular, spiced, bourbon, rum. It's cured for a minimum of like three months. And it's so good because, you know, the longer it sits, the better it gets. Like Carmen adds it to our coffee. I add it to my tea. We put it in our oatmeal. Like you can just, it is the best most fragrant natural vanilla like you know it just it's it's the it's delicious and it goes so well in everything so i i got a bone to pick with you both because at the beginning of the podcast i asked you if you were foodies and you looked at me like i asked you if you were you looked at me like i asked you if you were aliens or something like that and you guys are total foodies. Nobody talks about vanilla with that much excitement without being a foodie. So I'm sorry. I'm handing you the foodie card. See, okay, we'll take it. But yeah. when I think of foodies, I think of people who like go to restaurants and, you know, that I, that's my foodie. Um, and I think of people who cook. And if I'm being honest, it's not my favorite thing to do. But I like to eat. I like to eat I good aspire, food. That's all you need. Like I aspire <laughs> to have the desire to cook. 
but I don't, I mean, I do when I have to, but you know, I, I honestly can say prosperity market has, um, for a lot of reasons, I mean, duh, had me look at food in a very different way. Before this, I hadn't experienced literally picking something from the garden, bringing it home, washing it and eating it. Like I had never had that experience for myself before. And, um, so many yeah. of the things that you can find at Prosperity Market are also made with quality, fresh, local, amazing. And you can just taste the difference. There's Okay, yeah. so the last yeah. thing I'm going to mention is All Chill ice cream. They pop up at our markets too. And All Chill single-handedly ruined almost all other ice creams for me. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I will eat other ice cream. You know, I will eat it. But um, All Chill is amazing. They are the best, most fresh, delicious ice cream I've ever experienced. You can taste every ingredient. It's blended so perfectly. The flavors are so balanced. Like, I love them. And they make um, vegan and regular flavors. He was just about to say, we need to mention that Kara is vegan. I'm oh, not wow. vegan, and we both chill the same. <laughs> I, I was going to say, you just said flavors are balanced. I mean, you, you could be a food writer, let alone a foodie, okay? <laughs> I, what what kind of flavors are we talking about with All Chill? Do they go nat- like the classics, chocolate, vanilla, or do they, get, do they get freaky with it? They have some classics, but like, okay, so there's this one. It's called Lemonade Peach Tea. It tastes mm, like I've never had that before. The best version of a peach snapple, peach tea snapple that you've ever had. Like it's so good. They have like um a strawberry balsamic, so good. Like just that sounds good. It just makes you happy. Strawberries seem to be yeah, just makes you happy. And strawberries seem to be a theme here between the pizzas and the ice cream. So. Good to know. Strawberries are in season at Prosperity Market. Um, <laughs> question for you guys. So I understand there's a special fundraiser happening right now. I think it's called the Together We're Greater Fundraiser. Is that right? What What is this fundraiser all about? So Together We're Greater Fundraiser is in support of four businesses that we know and love. Um, California Coffee Company, which is one of our vendors as well. Uh, the Plant Chica the Heart Department, and Lazy Rose Cafe. And the reason we're doing this, uh, I should also mention we're partnering with BCIF, which is the Black Cooperative Impact Fund. And they are taking in all of the funds and distributing it among the businesses. Um, But we have seen, you know, we talked at the top of the show about how 41% of Black-owned businesses closed during the pandemic. We saw a lot of support. We saw a lot of people making pledges and wanting to be intentional about supporting Black-owned businesses. But here we are in 2023, three years later, and Black-owned businesses are still closing at alarming rates. And it's not talked about right now. Um, The support has waned, but also there are so many unforeseen challenges that are happening right now that have nothing to do with like all of these businesses are great they have amazing products amazing services they have people who love them and shop them and support them but these challenges come from like predatory leases um 
hidden costs, like hidden improvement costs, things like that. Big developers just wanting the space and just like pushing out businesses. So it's it's a lot of things like that that we're seeing, and it's a it's a trend, and um, we want to figure out how we can support it. So in the immediate, we are doing this fundraiser to support these four businesses. But the long-term goal is to really just open this conversation back up and create long-term solutions. Part of what we do, right? Like to um, highlight and provide a platform for people to discover and be able to support and patronize uh, Black-owned businesses. And so this fundraising initiative is an extension of that. Um, We know that uh, the fundraiser is not the end-all be-all. But these spaces have all either recently lost or are in the process of trying to stay in their locations for the reasons that Carmen said. Like, were it not for these things coming up that put their actual brick and mortar in jeopardy, they would be thriving because they have customers that patronize them. Like, those weren't the issues. It was unexpected things that were pushing them out of their brick and mortar spaces. And so the fundraiser is to immediately support that. And then um, another LA Times article (laughs) that was released um, maybe about two weeks ago um, highlights some of this this same conversation because um, we want to know what does it look like to help businesses be sustainable and thrive and grow? small businesses are the backbone of all of our communities. You know, small businesses provide the spaces that you often can go to and know and love. They provide the spaces that you get to know people and what their needs are and are in touch with the people that live there. And all of these businesses, not only do they provide their amazing products for their communities and the customers that patronize them, but they also support other businesses. So whether it's being event spaces for other businesses to come and, you know, host events or selling other businesses products through them, like they support other businesses as well. And so we think it's something important that needs to be talked about. And the really great thing about um, our partner BCIF is that they're actually a part of the long-term solution. So they provide um, zero interest loans for small Black-owned businesses. And so that's part of the conversation too. It's like, what does it look like to get this immediate support and then be able to move forward from that? And we just don't think that it's talked about enough because so many businesses quietly struggle and especially in LA, it's like, oh, that used to be such and such. Wonder where that went. And you never know what happened. And so we just want to bring that conversation forward. Because sometimes it's it's not the fault of the business owner or the community. There's other things. You bring up the point that the fundraiser is a great way for people to support in the short term and to you know show these businesses support for some of their more immediate challenges. But what kinds of solutions are we talking about when we talk about the more longer term solutions? Um, I think resources like um, legal assistance is really helpful here because I think part of the challenge, part of the challenges that we see is newer businesses that started up during the pandemic, like spaces have been open for, 
you know, empty, empty buildings for two and three years. So they get a great introductory rate and, and, but they don't know it's an introductory rate. They don't know it's below marketplace. They just know that this is, this is doable. I can make this happen. And then after the landlords had them in there for X amount of time, after making them pay all the improvement costs, mind you, like, oh, all these things need to be fixed. This is part of your contract. You have to pay your own hard-earned money to fix this. And it's their money because they're not getting loans because access to capital is a thing, right? So then you're finally open. You're finally, your customers are coming in. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, we're going to double, triple your rate, your rent. And and that's out of nowhere to a business. So I say all that to say <laughs> that assistant that with legal assistance to be able to go through the contracts and just to have somebody to help you through those processes can avoid some of the problem. Um, access to capital is another um, challenge that is a is that's a constant conversation. How do we make capital more accessible? commercial, excuse me, commercial real estate advice, like people that navigate and know that space is helpful. Um, and some of the solutions we don't know yet, right? But if we start these conversations with each other and with people in the community who know these businesses and care about them, not just these four, but any other small business, right? Then you can have conversations about what does that look like? You know, sometimes if a landlord knows that the community is upset that that business is leaving, they'll keep it open because they don't want the trouble. You know, sometimes yeah. if, if businesses that maybe are having the same kind of issue because they're in, a, in the same area recognize that they can talk to each other and band together, they may have some additional legal footing that they might not know. So there's so many different options, but we just want to make the conversation something that people are aware of so that business owners and community members can have these conversations together. And we, we get a sense of like what's really going on when you see that business just disappear out of nowhere that you used to go to all the time. Yeah. It's not like that business was doing poorly or the business owners had some sort of faults that they, they, they were running a bad business or something like that. It's all these external factors, which kind of conspire to make it very, very tough for business owners to survive, especially business owners of color. Now, what can we as consumers do besides, you know, supporting businesses with our dollars, which, you know, I definitely urge everybody to do that's listening, but what else can we be doing in order to be able to support these businesses and to advocate for change in our own way? Well, the first thing I want to say is please do not discount supporting these businesses with your dollars because when you show up, when you patronize, when you contribute, even to our fundraiser, um, which is on prosperitymarketla.com, by the way, uh, together we're greater, you can contribute. It makes a difference because not only the businesses, but the community officials, the landlords, the people that run the spaces, like all of those people see that you are in support of this business. So do not ever discount your patronage of these businesses. Um, the other things that you can do, especially if there are businesses that you know of that you frequent, have a conversation with the owners sometimes. You know, a lot of times, um, depending on the type of business it is, if there are businesses that have like events, maybe they need volunteers, maybe they need additional staff support. And it's like, oh, if they're hiring, do you know someone? Like, really having conversations 
with these businesses about what you like, you know, just how they're doing. All of those different things could really make a difference and you don't know what you could discover in the space of um, additional ways to be able to support that business because each one is unique. Um, Each business owner is unique and you don't know either what you could do or who you know that might be able to also bring something to that that conversation in that space. Um, I I would add to that. There are outside of the traditional ways of of supporting, you could, for example, rent the space like Lazy Rose Cafe in Mid-City. They have a beautiful space. They have a, a second floor and you could rent it out for an event or, or, you know, whatever it is that you might need a space for. Um, you could c- catering like California coffee company can, can cater or bring coffee to your event or to your, I don't know, set whenever the strike is over and there are sets again. Um, so you can, you could think about things in unconventional ways and that is all very valid, important, necessary support. And they all yeah. um, have businesses online. And I want to add that um, Plant Chica, they, they have their business online as well. Um, and they, they, they still are looking to do pop-ups in different community events. They, I mean, they did things like story time for kids and plant giveaways and all of those things. So all of the businesses are st- still doing things right now that you can support um, and just kind of get creative with, with any of your favorite businesses and, and find out what it could look like to incorporate more of them into your life and the community that you're in. So what's next for prosperity market? When, when will you be popping up again? Uh, and you know, what can we expect from the organization in the future? The immediate next is our virtual market. That's going to be September 18th through the 22nd on our website, prosperitymarketla.com. So that is where you can go and you can order your glorious chateau and all the things we listed, oat milk, vanilla, um, Brandy's cookies. We didn't talk about that, but you need her uh, cookies. They're sea white chocolate oatmeal cookies. Um, so yeah, you can get all of the great products from Prosperity Market in our virtual market. And then awesome. we yeah. are working on building our mobile farmers market. So stay tuned because we always give updates um, on our Instagram. You can sign up for our newsletter online so that you can stay in the know, and that way you'll know when we are going to be rolling out the big farmer's market on wheels. What are we talking about here? Are we literally talking like a spaceship? What like what kind of vehicle can accommodate all these businesses? Okay, so yes, thank you for asking. This is my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> the trailer is like literally a farmer's market on wheels and a food truck in one. So it is a big 48-foot trailer. Um, the back is the farm is huge. <laughs> the back is the farmer's market. You can actually come inside and shop and it'll be shelves and it'll be like an aisle in the grocery store with all of the products, all these great things that we're talking about. But the front of the trailer is a kitchen. So it literally is a food truck. And we're going to rent that out to different chefs and food entrepreneurs. So for all you foodies, there is a pop-up food truck that is part of our entire mobile farmer's market. For all you foodies, you mean. (laughs) Carmen, Kara, this has been a fascinating conversation. I'm so happy that you were able to come on the podcast and share with our listeners just everything that Prosperity Market is up to, all of the incredible vendors you're showcasing. We'll be sure to include 
all of the links in our show notes too. So listeners know exactly where to go to learn more about Prosperity Market, to donate. Any final words that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Thank you for listening to this. If you stayed the entire time. (laughs) And um, right. And everything that Prosperity Market has is delicious. Carmen and I have tested it firsthand. So we stand by it. Um, I don't know if these should be my final words, but, you know, we do a lot of great things for our community, but selfishly, <laughs> selfishly, we created our dream market. We brought our dream products and all of the food that we love, that we think everyone else will love too. Um, we brought it together. So, I mean, if nobody else cares, <laughs> once a month, I have an opportunity to get everything I love in one place. <laughs> That's uh, that's that's a pretty cool thing to have. So you know what? If nothing else, that's uh, that's quite an accomplishment. Well, <laughs> Carmen, seriously, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for all the work you do, and I'm sure we'll see a prosperity market soon. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the LA Food Podcast. Thanks to our guests, Carmen Diane and Kara Still, for joining us today. We have plenty of resources in the show notes today, dear listener, so you can check out more about Prosperity Market, their latest fundraiser, uh, even learn more about the topic of food insecurity. So please be sure to go check those out. Thanks also to our uh, perennial guest, Father Saul, for making time for us today. And if you like what you heard today, please go to wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a rating, a review, subscribe if you should be so inclined and we'll be back next week with another epic episode in the meantime if you'd like to find me you can find me on instagram tiktok and even threads at the la countdown that's t-h-e-l-a-c-o-u-n-t-d-o-w-n or on instagram at la food pod that's l-a-f-o-o-d-p-o-d